1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Uh, we're in a Sunday morning series. We're going to get back. We took a little break from that last week, and uh, we're going to jump back in on it this week. And the name of the series is One Another. We've talked about edifying one another, and we've talked about loving one another. And this is going to be the message for this morning. This is 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an and, uh, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed unto us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. The title of the message this morning is Comfort One Another. Comfort one another. Let's pray one last time. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be in your house today. We're so thankful for Thanksgiving as it's coming up upon us. Lord, we should be thankful every day, but Lord, this is the day we set aside to be thankful to you for our many blessings, and I pray that you help us to have a thankful attitude. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd be with the message this morning, be with the Word of God as it's preached, and just give us a good day in the house of God. For everything we ask, we ask this in your name, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The world is an uncomfortable place. We've got uh, hurricanes. We've got tornadoes. Uh, right now, there's a, a wildfire going on in California. I mentioned it earlier. Over 60 people are confirmed in and over 600 are, are misplaced and we don't know where they're at. And, and then not only that, we've got school shootings to worry about and, and you can't even uh, feel you, your kids are safe in school anymore and, and you can't go to a movie theater, you can't go to a concert anymore without being afraid of, of getting shot at. And you know, well, let, let me tell you something, the world is an uncomfortable place. There's sickness in the world, there's strife in the world. Hey, the world is uncomfortable. Hey, but you know what the Lord wants from us? The Lord doesn't want us to be uncomfortable. The Lord wants us to be comforted. He wants us to be comforted. He went out of his way to make sure that we were comforted. The Bible says in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you in all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I know that the Lord wants me to be comforted because he said, I'm going to send you a comforter. That comforter is going to be the Holy Ghost. 
And that comforter is going to come inside of you and that comforter is going to indwell your body. Uh, so we are, we are better than the Old Testament saints in the fact that they had the Holy Spirit come upon them at certain points and the Holy Spirit would leave them after their task was done. The moment me and you got saved as Christians, the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit indwelled our bodies and He lives inside of us. He is inside of us from the time we are redeemed, when we got saved. Throughout all eternity, the Holy Spirit will indwell our bodies and be with us. So I know that the Lord wants me to be comforted because He sent me a comforter. Now, what else did he say about this comforter? John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. He is, Jesus is saying there that the comforter is going to do such a good job of comforting you that it's better if I just go ahead and go. I need to go ahead and get out of here and get out of the Holy Spirit's way so the Holy Spirit can come down and the Holy Spirit can comfort you. That's what Jesus is saying. It'd be better if I'd just go on and go and get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit come. So let me tell you something today. God wants to comfort us. God wants us as a people to be comforted. When we go through trouble and we go through trials and tribulations and we go through sickness and we go through pain, God doesn't want us to be uncomforted through that. God wants us to be comforted. But let me tell you something today. The name of the message isn't God comforting us. That's not the name of the message. The name of the message this morning is comfort one another. This message is not about God comforting us. It is not. The, the name of the message is about how me and you interact, how we interact as Christians, as we, how we interact as brothers and sisters of Christ, how, how we interact as church members. How do we comfort one another? Well, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, comfort one another like this. Comfort one another with these words. Okay, what are the words that we're supposed to comfort each other with? We're going to go through that today. So you see that God wants us to be comforted, but this message isn't about God comforting us. It's about us comforting each other. And in order for me and you to comfort each other, we have to have three possessions. We have to possess three things in order for us to comfort one another. And I'm going to talk about those this morning as we go through the scripture this morning. What are the three things that we have to possess in order to comfort each other? Well, here's number one. Number one, we have to possess our conviction. Our conviction. A conviction is another word for saying what we believe. So we have to possess our conviction. Let's go back to the chapter, chapter number five, and read the first three verses again. But at the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. It talks about the day of the Lord. What exactly is the day of the Lord? Is the day of the Lord a specific day? Uh, the day of the Lord, it, uh, the, the scripture, we see the day of the Lord as the beginning of a series of events. Okay? The beginning of this series of events that take place, uh, it starts with 
the rapture, which is referenced to in the scripture. Now, you will not find the word rapture in your Bible. It's not in there. We use the word rapture, but the Bible calls it the calling up of the saints. What's going to happen is Jesus Christ is going to come out of heaven. He's going to bring the dead in Christ, the souls of the dead in Christ with him. Uh, an angel is going to sound a trumpet. And all those here on the earth, saved, dead, and alive, is going to rise up. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. I always, why I always say, why did the dead in Christ rise first? They've got six extra feet to go. And uh, so the dead in Christ are going to rise and their bodies are going to come up. And, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, I've say, I've, some people say, I don't want to be cremated because I want them, all my body to be together. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter what state your body's in. It doesn't matter if you're embalmed in the ground, if you're cremated, spread on the beach. It doesn't matter. When the, that trumpet is called, when you're a saved child of God, your body is going to reconstitute. It's going to come back together. It's going to go up in the sky. It's going to meet the soul, your soul, and you're going to be given a glorified body. All those who are on the earth at that time, their bodies, they're going to be called, we're going to be called up as well. If we're alive, we're going to be given glorified bodies. I don't know if you could improve on a body better, better than this, but the Lord's going to try. Okay, he can do his best. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're going to be called up and we're going to be called up in the rapture. and We're going to be called up to heaven and we're going to go to heaven with Jesus Christ in the rapture. While that's happening on earth is something that's going to be called the seven-year tribulation. Seven-year tribulation is going to be for those who rejected Christ. You see, once you've heard the gospel and you reject it and the rapture takes place, you can no longer be saved. The Bible says you will believe a lie. So those here on the earth, while we're in heaven uh, during that seven years, the seven-year tribulation will be going on down here. There'll be three and a half. The Antichrist will come to power. There'll be three and a half years of, of somewhat peace. And then the last three and a half years, the Bible describes it as hell on earth. So while hell on earth is going on down here in the seven-year tribulation, me and you are going to be in heaven if we're saved. The first thing that's going to happen during that seven years is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ will take place during that time. That the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be judged on our sin because our sins are forgiven. What we're, going to, what we're going to be judged for is what we did with what God gave us. He gave us talents. Did we use those talents to further the gospel? Did we use those talents to further the kingdom of God? Or did we take those talents and bury them in the ground? and not use them. That's what we're going to be judged on. After the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we're going to be in heaven picking out with Jesus Christ when on the earth there's going to be seven years of tribulation, literal hell on earth. After the seven years of tribulation, there's going to be a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. We will come back with Jesus Christ. He will be on a white horse. We will come back with him. Satan will gather his forces in the valley of Megiddo in Israel, in that valley. And, and it's going to be a quick battle. Jesus is going to say one word. He's going to cut the enemy down. The Bible says the blood will rise to the, to the bridle of a horse's mouth. At that time, we'll begin. Uh, uh, at that time, Satan will be bound up. He'll be thrown, thrown into hell. The false prophet and the Antichrist will be thrown into the lake of fire. And then Jesus will begin his thousand-year millennial reign. Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years. We will rule and reign with him. 
After that such time, the devil will be loosed from hell. He will be come upon the earth for a short season. The Bible says he will gather as many people to him as there is sand to the seashore. And there'll be another battle. The last battle, the battle to end all battle, and that battle is called the battle of Gog and Magog. The battle of Gog and Magog will take place. The devil will lose. He'll be cast into the lake of fire. And then the final, the final, the final thing will take place before we enter in eternity. And the final thing that takes place will be called the great white throne judgment. At this judgment, the lost will be judged. They will be judged for their sin because their sins were not forgiven. And the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Osama bin Laden's going to bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Saddam Hussein is going to bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The great, the great a a a atheist Richard Dawkins will bow his knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is the day of the Lord. But you know what? You know what the Bible says about this? The Bible says it will come as a thief in the night. As a thief in the night, this is going to come. Who in here has ever been robbed? I mean, you know what? I've never, I couldn't imagine. I bless the Lord that I haven't been robbed yet, but I can't imagine going through something like that. It, it, it's a terrible thing to go through. And the thing about it is, is you don't know what's going to happen until after it happens. The second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be like this. Matthew 24, verse 37 through 43 says, listen to this. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Listen to this. This is, a, this is about the rapture. Then two shall be in a field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the meal, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Any and all attempts to determine the day, year, or even century that the Lord's going to come back are phony and false. Some years ago, there was a preacher by the name of Harold Camp. Harold Camp thought he was going to be slick, and Harold Camp thought, I'm going to predict when the rapture is going to happen. So he paid for billboards all over the country to put out uh, when the rapture was going to take place. And what happened, of course, was that the world started making a mockery of it. The world, the night before the rapture was going to take place, uh, they had rapture parties. And when the rapture didn't happen, Harold Camp said, oh, well, I got it wrong. It's going to be in a week from now. Well, a week passed, and guess what? We're still here. It didn't happen. Uh, you see, and he just made a mockery of it because, hey, the thief not only gives no notice to, to, to when he's going to come rob you, but he takes precaution to prevent you from knowing. Okay, so Jesus is going to do the same thing. If he's going to come as a thief in the night, not only are you not going to know when he's going to come, he's going to make sure you don't know when he's going to come. 
He's going to ensure that when he does come, hey, he's going to make sure he catches everybody by surprise. Hey, you know what the Bible says? They're going to be after after the rapture, there's going to be peace and safety. The Antichrist after the rapture is going to be a scary time. If you can imagine millions of people disappearing like that, it's going to be scary. It's going to be confusing. But the Antichrist, he's going to have the answer. The Antichrist is going to stand up and he's going to have the answer. He's going to put everybody's mind at ease. And that's one of the ways that he's going to take power. He's going to promise, he's going to assure them that there'll be peace. He's going to assure them there's going to be safety. He has all the answers. He's going to lull them into a sense of comfort and contentment, at least for three and a half years. After the three and a half years, the Bible says sudden destruction shall come upon them. Not only will this destruction come upon them suddenly, uh, meaning they won't expect it, but this is what the verse says. It says, as travail Upon a woman with child. You know what that tells me about this destruction? This destruction is not only going to be sudden, but it's going to be overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever been overwhelmed before. But what it feels like to be overwhelmed is you've got so many things hitting you at the same time. Your brain goes in overload and you literally can't process everything that's happening. So your body, your body literally shuts down because you can't process what's happening. Hey, you know what? Uh, these people, that's what their whole life is going to be like, those that are left down here. So much evil and so much terrible, and they're going to be so fearful, and so many things are going to be happening to them that they're physically going to shut down because they can't process everything that's happening to them. Man, it's going to be a horrible, horrible Horrible time to live in. The Bible says, and they shall not escape. There'll be no hiding place. Hey, hey, there'll be no hiding place for their, there'll be no cave. There'll be no refuge that they could go in. But also there'll be no redemption for their souls. Because like I said, the Lord said they will believe a lie. Hold on a second, Brother Brett. (laughs) I thought you said the name of this message was comfort one another. This isn't very comforting. Well, I'm going to get to that. We'll get to the comfort in just a minute. But first, we have to nail down our conviction. We have to nail down what we believe. So number one, this morning, we have to possess our conviction. Number two, we have to possess our caution. So this is our caution. Let's look back at verse number four and read through down through verse number eight. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as, as do others. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. So the second thing we have today is we have, first we have our conviction, and next we have our caution. You know what the scripture is basically telling us? It's telling us to be woke. That's a big thing nowadays. People saying, oh, I'm woke. I'm woke. It means I'm aware of what's going on. Well, this here in the scripture, (coughs) the Bible's telling us to be woke. It's one thing if the robber comes and you're asleep. 
It's another thing if the robber comes and you're awake. Man, I tell you, can't tell you how many times I've been at house at the house uh, awake when my family's asleep and I hear a bump in the night and it's odd and I don't know what's going on. You know what I do? I go in my bedroom, I get my Smith & Wesson 40 cal, I rack one in the chamber and I go outside and man, I'm, I'm Jason Bourne. I'm going around that house looking for, looking for somebody. You know, how many, you know, it's one thing if they come when I'm asleep, but if they come when I'm awake, they're gonna get some lead to take home, okay? So, you know, it's one thing if you're asleep, but it's another thing if you're awake. A person that's awake is prepared for the thief. They may not know when the thief is going to come, but they're prepared for it. What does the Bible call us? The Bible calls us children of light. What does that mean? What does that mean when the Bible calls us the children of light? Number one, it means we're saved. The Bible says in Psalms 27.1, he is the... He is he, Lord, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, being saved sets us apart. Being redeemed set, sets us apart. Having Jesus Christ in our heart, it sets us apart from the rest of the world. That's why we're the children of light. We're the redeemed. Not only are we saved, but it also means we're pure. Romans 12, 13, 12, and 13 the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. I am not pure. I am not. I'm a sinner. I'm a horrible sinner. And so are you. We are sinners. I am not pure and neither are you. But you know who, who is pure? Jesus is pure. Jesus is pure. And I've got Jesus in my heart. So the pureness that I have, uh, I say this a lot. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my righteousness. He sees the righteousness of my son. He says, we're not pure, but Christ in us makes us pure in the sight of God. So what do these two things together mean? Children of light means we are saved. It means we're pure. But number three, most importantly, here's, here it is. It means our eyes are opened. Our eyes are opened. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Hey, you know what? We might not know when the storm is going to hit, but we know it's coming. We may not know when it's going to hit, but we know it's coming. We are, privy to, we are privy to knowledge that the children of darkness are not privy to. So now that we have this knowledge and we possess this knowledge, what should we do? The Bible says, let us not sleep. Let us not sleep. Matthew 25, 13, watch ye therefore, for ye know uh, neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The scripture says to be sober. Uh, in other words, meaning to be sober-minded. Be watchful. Hey, let the world be drunk on sin. Let the world be drunk on sin. Let them be so inebriated with sin that they can't see anything else. But what are we to do? We're to abstain. We're to be temperate. 
We're not to be drunk on the pleasures of this world. You see, the children of darkness, they're drunk on sin. They're drunk on the pleasures of the world. So even though I have liberty in Christ, I'm going to choose to abstain from those pleasures. I'm going to choose to abstain from sin because I want to be awoke. I want to be awake. I want to be aware of what's going on. I want to be alert. I want to be watching for Jesus' return. Why does a doctor on call not go out and drink on call? Even though he's off, he's on call. You know why, why he doesn't go out and drink? Because if he gets a call to go into the hospital, if he or she gets a call to go into the hospital, and they go into the hospital and they're drunk, they could lose their license. They could lose everything. So that's why on call, they don't drink or do anything like that. Christian, we're on call. We're on call 24-7. So what we should do, we should abstain from the pleasures of this world. Why? Because we're on call. And one day the trumpet's going to sound, the pager's going to go off, and we're going to be called into work. And man, we better not be drunk on the pleasures of this world. Oh, if we're saved, you're not going to lose your salvation. If you're saved, you're saved forever. But you know what? Still, do you want Jesus to come back and you have your hand caught in the cookie jar? That's not how I want Jesus to find me. Next to the scripture, it talks about the armor of God. It references the armor of God here. So first in watching and staying sober, we're to protect ourselves from the pleasures of sin. But now we're to protect ourselves from the evils of the world. The scripture here talks about the breastplate of faith and of love. Breastplate of faith and love. Many things are attributed to faith in scripture. Uh, here it's considered to be a defensive grace. When it talks about the breastplate of faith, it's a defensive grace. Why? Because it defends, number one, it defends the gospel is true. Somebody says the gospel isn't true. You say, no, the gospel is true. I have faith in the gospel. The gospel is true. Not only does it defend the gospel is true, it defends the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you today, Jesus did raise, rise from the dead. That stone was rolled away and he, he rose again after being dead three days and three nights. He walked out of that tomb having victory over death. I know that's true because my faith proves it. So your faith defends against the resurrection of Christ. But not only that, your faith defends against the coming of Christ. I know one day Christ is coming back. He may come back while I'm here. He may come back after I'm gone. But that doesn't negate the fact that Christ is coming back. The rapture will take place. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. The new Jerusalem will come out of heaven. I will spend eternity in heaven. Jesus Christ will split the eastern sky wide open. I know it to be true because I have faith. My faith defends these truths. But here we see that love is joined with faith. It says breastplate of faith and love. Why are these two intertwined? Galatians 5, 6 tells us. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, listen to this, but faith 
which worketh by love. Faith which worketh by love. So what does this mean? Love is what powers faith. And faith is what defends love. See, they work hand in hand. Faith is powered by love, but faith also defends love. What, is it, what, what does it say it is? It's a breastplate. So if you wear a breastplate, if I have a breastplate of faith here, what's it protecting? My heart. It's protecting my heart because it's defending my love. And my love is what pushes me forward in faith. So we have a breastplate of faith, of faith and love. And then also here in this passage, it talks about the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. The helmet is the hope of salvation. Now in Ephesians 6, 17, it talks about the helmet of salvation. But what it's talking about there, it's still talking about the hope of salvation. Salvation in itself isn't a, 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 a grace. Uh, it's uh, salvation in, of, in itself is not a grace of the spirit, but the hope of salvation is the hope of salvation is a grace of the spirit. The hope of salvation is a great is a great use to the Christian. Why? Here's why. Here's why the hope of a hope of salvation is a great use for me and you, because it gives us a future. The hope of salvation ensures our future. It ensures it. When, they, when, the, when the world and the lost people, when they, don't, when they don't have a future, the hope of our salvation, it ensures our future. It gives us one when nobody else has one. I have a buddy that, love, that loves James Bond films. He has watched every single James Bond film there ever is, and he will argue, argue you till he's blue in the face that Sean Connery was the best one. And uh, so he's watched every James Bond film. And well, I, I've never really got into the James Bond films, but uh, from what I know about it, you know, you can have James Bond. He's there. He's shackled to the table. The, the laser's about to cut him in half. He's over a shark tank and the sharks are circling and they're about to get him. And the timer's ticking down. The bomb's about to go off. And all these things are going to happen. And then all, in, all of a sudden, James Bond has a little gadget. He's got a little laser in his watch and he can hit that little laser and get the cuffs off of him and turn the laser away and jump out of the shark tank and disable the bomb all at the same time. He's got that little watch laser that can get him out of any jam. Well, that's what the hope of salvation is for us. The hope of salvation says it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to be with Jesus Christ one day. Doesn't matter what trial or tribulation I come through. One day there'll be more, no more trials. One day there'll be no more tribulation. Doesn't matter what sickness I face today because one day I will live in a time where sickness will be done away with. You see, the hope of our salvation, it's our get out of jail free card. It's our, it's our James Bond watch laser. It gets us out of any and every jam. The hope of our salvation. And I want you to notice this. What are the three things we just talked about? We talked about faith, we talked about love, we talked about hope. Do those sound familiar to you? Does it sound like we've heard those before in 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. 
So the children of light are to put on these graces of faith, love, and hope as an armor to be ready for the coming of Christ and armed against the destruction, which will then surprise the children of light. So I've been through all that. Now, first we have our, our conviction, what we believe. Next, we have our caution. We need to be cautious of what we believe. Now, here, 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 we get, here we get to the crux of the message. Now we have our comfort. Here's where the comfort comes in. That's what this message is about. It's about us comforting one another. So here comes the comfort now. Okay, let's re- go back and read verses 9 through 11. For God hath not appointed to us wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So here's our comfort. Look at that first phrase in verse number nine. What does it say? It says, God hath not appointed us to wrath. Aren't you glad for that today? Aren't you glad that God has not appointed us to wrath? Hey, let me tell you something. You won't see destruction. You won't see ruin. Let me tell you, let me tell you, I will never know what hell feels like. I will never know what it's like to be without the presence of God. Hey, while seven years of tribulation and hell on earth is going down on here, I'm going to be up in heaven eating fried okra and cornbread with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I'm going to be. We're going to be together up there with him. Let me tell you, my soul will never taste death. My body might taste death, but my soul will never taste death. Why? Because God saved me from his wrath. And if that doesn't comfort you, then nothing will. I am not appointed to wrath. You are not appointed to wrath. We missed it. We're not going to experience it. Then the, then the verse continues, we've obtained salvation. We've obtained salvation. I quote this verse a lot, but it's one of my favorite verses. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Aren't you glad you're saved today? Aren't you glad you're a child of God today? Aren't you glad you have a new life? Aren't you glad your sins are forgiven this morning? Not only are we delivered from death, but we have eternal life. Eternal life. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the deep, according to the riches of his grace. I have access as a child of God. I have access to these riches in Jesus Christ. You know what it's like? It's like I was an orphan who didn't have anything living on the street. And I was adopted by a rich man. It's like I'm little orphan Annie. And I'm adopted by a rich man. And now I have access to everything that entails. Ephesians 1.14, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Hey, I have an inheritance now. Now that I'm saved, I have a mansion in heaven. Hey, I have a place in that new Jerusalem that will come down. I will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. 
1 Thessalonians 5.10 in our, in our text, it says, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that's whether we're dead or alive, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You know what that means? That means whether we're dead or whether alive, we're going to be together. We're here together right now. In a million years in eternity, we can come back together. We can come back together. Why? Because whether we are awake or sleep, we should live together with him. Look at verse number 11. The first verse word there, it says wherefore. Anytime you see a wherefore, you got to see what it's there for. So wherefore, he's saying, since we've been saved and since we don't have wrath upon us and since we're going to live together with him, it says next, it says comfort each other with these words. You know, Christians, when we get together, it doesn't always need to be sad and complaining. It doesn't always just need to be, you know, ho-hum. You know, it doesn't always need to be sad. It doesn't always need to be complaining. Hey, we need to be happy. We need to be happy that we're saved, that we've got a home in heaven, that Jesus lives in our heart. No matter what, we can always fall back on the hope of our salvation. And what does he say? He says, comfort one another with this. Comfort one another with this knowledge. God wants us to comfort each other. Maybe, you, maybe you've got a friend that's going through a tough time. You need to comfort that friend. This morning, I'm going to give you, here at the end, I'm going to give you five ways you can comfort each other. Five ways you can comfort each other. The verse says one, it says edify. You know what edify means? Edify means to build someone up, to encourage them. Who can you encourage this week? Who can you build up? Number two, another way you can comfort somebody is to remind one another of God's comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Our God is a God of comfort. And what we can do with our brothers and sisters who are hurting is we can turn them back to God. Say, if you turn your life back to God, if you give your attention back to God, he can comfort you because he is the God of comfort. Another thing you can do is you can pray for one another. Hebrews 13, 18, pray for us. for We have trust and a good conscience. Hey, we can pray for each other. Who have you prayed for this week? Have you prayed for anybody other than yourself? Have you prayed for someone else? Number four, another way we can comfort others is to remember God's promises. This book is chock full of promises of God. You can give one of these promises to a fellow brother or sister in Christ and comfort them. Here's one promise. It says, my God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. You can't get away from that promise. God will supply your need. And then number five, the final way to comfort someone is to give someone something. Give something to someone. Upon this Thanksgiving time, we always like to fall back on the old adage, it's always more blessed to give than to receive. That is true. Give something to someone this week. This is how we comfort one another. What I want you to do, I want you to go through this week and I want you to find someone that's having a tough time. I want you to find someone that's, that's hurting. I want you to find someone that's sad. 
I want you to find someone who needs comfort and you be that comfort. You pray for them. You turn them back to God. You, you take a promise in this book and you share it with them and you comfort them. You let them know that no matter what else, no matter what else happens, we're all going to be together in glory one day. And that Jesus Christ is coming back and all the sickness and pain will be done away with. It'll all be over. What did he say in scripture? He said, comfort one another with these words. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In just a second, we're going to have an invitation. When the invitation happens, we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to do business with God, whether in your pew or at the altar. And this morning, just ask God to help you comfort somebody else. This message really isn't about you. It's, it's not about me. This message is about others. Giving us ammunition so we can comfort our brothers and sisters in Christ. What did he say? He said, comfort one another with these words. God can comfort them, but sometimes they're so far away from God that God can't do the job. So he relies on me and you to point them back towards him. Find someone this week that you can comfort. And you yourself, if you're going through a tough time, Maybe it was the Lord's intention for you to be comforted by this message. Maybe there were some truths that were spoken today that can give you comfort as you go through your trial. Be comforted today. God wants you to be comforted. And God also wants you to comfort others. I'm going to pray. When I get done praying, we'll have a short invitation. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for all you've done for us today. Dear Lord, I pray that you would just bless, bless us. And if there be someone in here who needs comfort, Lord, I pray that you'd give them comfort. Help us if we come across someone else that needs comfort. I pray that you'd be with us and help us to comfort that Christian. Thank you for all you've done. In your name I pray. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the music begins to play. You do whatever the Lord has laid on your heart.